On this episode of Eager to Know, rooftop farming, an August harvest dinner, and business that adheres to its core values. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Driving to my studio every day, I pass a restaurant with a visible rooftop farm right in Chicago's Edgewater neighborhood. And every time I drive by it, I think, a rooftop farm, what an amazing thing. When I finally visited on Common Ground, I realized there was even more. Not only is it a successful restaurant with a rooftop farm, it's a live music venue, an art space, an organic brewery. There was just a lot of interesting things there. My conversation with Helen Cameron, its founder, quickly revealed the character traits guiding the creation of these unique elements of their business. Visualization, eagerness to try new things, willingness to take calculated risks. All of these traits have enabled them to grow ideas into amazing things. Uncommon ground, rooftop farm, two locations, beehives, organic brewery. So you have a lot going on. This started from something very small. So this is making me have a lot of questions um, because this was a lot of creativity, a lot of creation to go from where you, where you started to where you are now. So can you tell me a little bit about where you started? Well, Mike and I started Uncommon Ground in 1991. The first step was an espresso bar uh, in the Century Mall, which is at Broadway and Clark and Diversity there where it all converges. And that's how we began our journey was something very small. We didn't had no investors. We did, you know, we had no savings. So this is, we started a really tiny business. Now how small, what was like the square footage of this original thing? Um, well, it was on a rolling cart, it had a, um, you know, a double unit espresso machine on it, a really big, heavy machine. And then it had um, eaves that you could flip up so that you could put, um, you know, jars of cookies and, you know, muffins and all that kind of stuff. So it was sort of just a coffee bar with like cookies and muffins and, you know, snack type things uh, in the Century Mall. And that's how we started. So does that mean it was on like the floor of the mall? Yes, it was kind of in the... Like a cart. Yes, a cart, like a food cart. You started as a cart. Uh, Yes, we did. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. And when you started with your cart, Mm -hmm. I mean, did you have an intention or were you just focusing on having a cart? Well, we left a rather large, large positions. Mike was the food and beverage director at a small hotel downtown and I uh, was the executive chef at the time. And we had done that for a few years, and we we really wanted to do our own business. So we figured that that the cart system would be sort of a beginning and then sort of a means to being able to progress to hopefully at some point a cafe, okay, and then kind of into restaurant world, which is pretty much, you know, what we- What you did. Made happen, yeah. It it just evolved very slowly. But we did it, you know, without investors. Uh, we did it with just continually growing and reinvesting what we made in our in our company. Now, one of the things about your story that I find very interesting 
is in addition to it being about business success, you are growing a business that adheres to your values. Absolutely. And that's that's incredible. Now, was that something that you knew you would always do from the beginning? Or like how how did the two come together? Like the the values in the business were they mm-hmm. oh, can you tell me about that story that's a really great question um well first of all you know a lot of this happens because mike and i have a really incredible partnership and we have always uh intuitively followed you know making things happen the way we think they should be you know so uh you know, once we kind of got the coffee cart rolling and we realized, okay, we're, we, we need no more. You know, we were running a hotel and now it's this tiny thing. And um, we found this space and, and, you know, at 1214 West Grace and we both walked into it. And while it was in rough shape and, you know, a little bit off the beaten path, it was in a, in a good area. And we both really, in our imaginations, could feel the potential of this space. Yeah. And so a lot of it sort of happened naturally for us. We just sort of went with a sort of flow of how we saw things needing to be. Okay. And we we kind of have that thing together. It's really a cool thing. It's great to have a partner like that. Okay, meaning you. meaning you both kind of are comfortable going from the gut. Yeah. And it sounds like your guts are kind of... Uh, mm-hmm. In sync with each other? Yeah, lots of guts and lots of seat of the pants learning. <laughs> okay. Like just you, you learn as you go. You make, you make stuff happen. If it doesn't work the way you were hoping it would, you look at the situation. You, it, we're, we're good problem solvers, right? We're, we're very creative that way. Like we look at things and we're like, I really want to do this. Okay, well, how are we going to do it? What if we did this? What if we did that? And then you try things. And then sometimes they're really great, and all you have to do is tweak them a little bit. And sometimes you try things, and you're like, "Yeah, no, that's that was kind of silly. Let's move on to something else," you know. And and you progress that way. And sometimes certain things will carry you a certain way for a time, and then they've kind of outlived their usefulness, and then you move on to you know the next step. You go up the next step of the ladder. Okay. Uh, so I think I'm getting a picture of of why you have been able to go from a cart to where you are now. It's mm-hmm. it's starting to flush itself out for mm-hmm. me. And it sounds like you kind of go with the flow, go with your gut. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like um, you are not afraid of trying new things from what you just said. And it sounds like you're also not afraid of um, changing direction and backing out if something's not working. Oh, absolutely. Um, at one point we had two espresso bars going. But, you know, those are such tiny businesses and they require a lot of attention. Meantime, we had this cafe up and running and we realized, you know what? These two things have gotten us to a certain point, but now they're almost a detriment because we really need to focus on the bigger picture, which was the cafe. And so we made a decision. Okay, this was great. Got us to where we want to go. And now we're going to stop doing that and we're going to shift and go this way and put all our energy and, and creativity into that and build it. But we, we like to brainstorm. We like, I, we like ideas and then coming up with like interesting things to do, yeah. um, you know, to ways to engage. I mean, we're uncommon ground. So it's a lot of thinking outside the box, right? There's no other restaurant that has a certified organic rooftop farm or plus 
you know, a certified organic brewery. Plus, it's a venue. We have music at two locations almost every night of the week. Um, and it's an art gallery. I change art there regularly, as you know. So, um, you know, it's it's a place where we want to build community, but we want to have creativity with that. We want to have fun with it. Like, this is my life. This is yeah. what I'm doing for my life. And if that's the deal, if and I'm if I'm spending this much time at work, well, then it better darn well be something magnificent. You yeah, know? like yeah. Well, I mean, I would say if yeah. this is your life, you have a very exciting, diverse life because, as you said, there's yes. a lot of different things going on from a creativity standpoint, business standpoint, artistic standpoint, um, which is really just amazing that you have created this business and your li this life for yourselves. Um, obviously, doing all of this, you have to have an entrepreneurial mindset, which we talked about. Would you say that you always had that and that this, and you were aware of it? Or would you say that it developed? Or was it something that was activated by being in this environment? Honestly, I think it's at the core of my being. And um, so if you ended up doing um, like you were working at a hotel, was it? Yes. So if you stayed there, do you think that how would that have played out that, that the, these parts of your personality that have allowed you to be successful? Well, the, the lucky thing about having that position in the hotel is that my husband was my boss. Mm, okay. And so I had I had I was able to have that open creativity in the way I, I ran the restaurant. And I was able to create specials and, you know, events and things. So I, I was able to use that space as a, as, a learn, as a teaching ground, you know, to hone my skills so that when I eventually am doing this for myself, you know, I, I have a grasp on how it's done and how to do it successfully. So that, that was great because in that opportunity, I, I had that entrepreneurial ability that maybe some other jobs may not have, you know, won't give you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things that you are actively doing right now with the rooftop farm, mm -hmm. first rooftop the organic first farm in the United the States, yep. mm -hmm. which is amazing. Um, I know you now have an organic brewery. There's a lot of, and you were kind of alluded to this idea of, um, thinking of ideas and then making them happen. Right. And I'm the same way. <laughs> like the, uh, the, the process of having an idea in my head and then working hard to see it to realization, I think that is one of the most exciting things that you can do. And, you know, I'm an artist, so but it doesn't happen for me just in paintings. Mm -hmm. I'm the same way with cooking. I'm the same way with my podcast. Like mm -hmm. this podcast was just an idea that I had, and then I created it. Exactly. And isn't that amazing that it's, we can do that? It's so much fun. It's, very, it's a lot it's of fun. It's really fun to realize something. Yeah. But there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot associated with that. Mm -hmm. It's taking risks. It's failure. It's, you know, all of that. Can you, can you tell me about that process for you um, of having an idea and then realizing it? Well, I mean, the rooftop farm is definitely uh, one of those situations. I, I grew up in Chicago on the west side, and my family always grew a lot of food in the backyard. And so, and my mom was in the food business. My father was 
uh, gourmand. So, you know, I, I grew up with good food and much of it we grew. We had fruit trees and bushes. We had all kinds of vegetables, especially the tomatoes. Like as a child growing up with these fantastic heirloom tomatoes that, you know, on those hot summer nights and at the time we didn't have air conditioning, I would get up in the middle of the night and I would go grab a tomato out of a garden. And, and where was this? Was this in West the suburbs? West side of Chicago. Really? 4324 West Thomas wow. Street on the other side of Humboldt Park. Now, did your whole neighborhood do this or were you the outliers? Were you the, the gardeners in the neighborhood? A lot of people grew food in that neighborhood at the yeah. time. It was uh, European and Eastern European, okay. Polish, Russian, German, kind of a mix of, of people in that area. And a lot of people grew their own food in their backyards. Yeah, I yeah. think I think um, gardening is. Uh, I I actually had a guest on Eager to Know who's currently now a landscape architect, but mm -hmm. we talked all about him growing up um, with his grandfather's farm, mm -hmm. and it's just amazing. And I think um, I, th I think gardening is great. Yeah, but, well, growing up with that. Yeah, you know that that was very deeply rooted in me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. First of all, at the time, you know, there were people who weren't using all these horrible chemicals that will make you sick yeah. and possibly kill you. Um, and we composted. I mean, I, I, I kind of grew up with organic gardening. And, you know, as a, as a kid, when you're young, I think you're just really attached to the earth. I mean, the thing of growing a seed and, and you know, and taking care of a plant and then being able to realize the fruits of your labor. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, those were really great lessons to me when I was young, but also I think I've had a very healthy life because I ate food that was really nutritious yeah. and of the season and, you know, full of that flavor and joy, you know, when you're, when you're eating it. And those tomatoes especially was just a, a big thing for me growing up. And so when Mike and I got married and we, you know, started our... Uh, journey together. We eventually bought our first home. And I was so psyched because I'm thinking, oh, now I can grow tomatoes in my own backyard. But lo and behold, the neighbor south of us blocked the majority of the sunlight. Aww. And so I, I couldn't really grow tomatoes in my backyard, which was kind of a big disappointment. Yeah. But in the meantime, it was still a fantastic garden and I, I really enjoyed it. But it was not full sun. Not full sun. Okay. So I would have to go to the farmer's markets to get my good tomatoes. Okay. And I would have to wait for a proper farmer market to show up in Chicago um, several years after we opened Uncommon Ground. I mean, I would go to farmer's markets, but they were selling the food that you could pick up at Lake the Lake Street markets that was coming in from all over the world. It wasn't coming right. from a local farm. It was yeah. coming from a farm, but... <laughs> And, you know, I kind of grew up later in life, I, I lived sort of on the Indiana-Michigan border. So I was accustomed to just going to farm stands and or going to the farm and picking the fruit or whatever. And, you know, and then we also grew stuff out there as I got older. So I, I was always surrounded by good local food. And then yeah. I come to Chicago and I want that for my restaurant. And I, I realize I can't get that uh, until the Green City Market opened because okay. the Green City Market was the one that really established like, okay, if you're selling food here, you need to be a farmer that's from the area. Okay. And then you can start developing those relationships, which is was great for us at Uncommon Ground. It was made me so happy. I connected with so many farmers. But to be able to get a locally grown tomato, you know, I would have to sort of go out of my way for that. So were you um, operating the uh, the restaurant 
without locally grown produce for a while until in you were the very able to, beginning in the very beginning you yeah. were and then at some point you were and, able to get it yeah. but then something else happened and i read i think i saw i was doing my research and i saw an interview with you and you talked about the first time you went to the roof of your current building yeah can you tell me a little bit about tell me that story yeah so you know knowing how i feel about tomatoes right so we uh we were looking at this building on the corner of Devon and Glenwood and uh, thinking about buying it and putting our second restaurant in there. And uh, it was a sunny day in February. We wanted to kind of explore the building a little bit more and see what the condition was like of the roof and various other things uh, to see if we wanted to take this on. And uh, we brought a ladder with us so we could check out the roof. And yep. so Mike Mike held it for me. I climbed up there. Um and my, as soon as my eyes cleared the parapet and I saw this wide open 4,000 square foot rooftop with one of those silver linings, yep. the first thing that popped into my head was a ginormous tomato, <laughs> red ripe tomato. And then I looked down at Mike, I was like, holy shit, we could grow food up here. <laughs> and I remember looking down at him, I still have his image in my head because he's holding the ladder and he's looking up and I'm looking down yelling this at him and he's just like, pleasantly like wow okay yeah you know we'll grow food up there and so he he joins me up on the roof and we walked around and we had really been at that point also involved in all kinds of sustainability um you know ideals and so the other thing that we agreed to is if we decided to do that project that it was going to have a working farm on the roof and it was going to have solar panels so but those ideas came after you like when you were when you peeked over and mm -hmm. saw that roof mm -hmm. you weren't thinking about a farm until you saw it is that exactly correct? okay so this just no, no. came to the you. picture I, it, first it was the tomato and then it was holy shit we can grow food up here and then the next thing my mind was like we should have a farm on the roof that was like the next it was thought 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 yes that's the right thing to do and then we just that's what we did Okay. That's... I mean, there really wasn't any further discussion about it. We just made up our minds. And then when we decided to try to buy the building and do this project, that all that came with it. Okay. So running a restaurant and starting a restaurant is enough work. <laughs> yes. To do something like this <laughs> yeah. where... And you're the first, which means yeah. you can't call up people and ask how to do it. No, we had to had figure to, it out. You had to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So you had to be really committed to this. And then there's also like the the financial aspect of mm -hmm. it, because I'm sure that that is, you know, the financial component of that is not something that's generally factored into opening a restaurant location. No, not at all. Or running one yeah. on so, a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. So there was just, yeah. you, that is, um, so, so there was a lot of failures, I assume, and struggles. Can you just tell me about the, the difficulty in doing that? Huh. Well, I mean, definitely it was a big challenge and there was some struggling to maneuver it to where we want it. Um, but I think, you know, at that point we had a lot of support from the community. Once meaning, they found out we were interested. In meaning doing, the people in the neighborhood? Yes, in doing the project. And, and then it's funny how the universe kind of tosses things your way and helps you. You know, we, we, we were able to get... Um, TIF funds. Okay. So that was also, you know, a bit of a struggle, you know, dealing with that situation because it's a whole other arena of, you know, 
building something. But it's it's funding, you know, and that really helped us uh, figure out how to make it happen because in order to put that kind of weight on a roof, um, the building has to, to be reinforced. Hold sure. it. Uh, well, it turns out the basement in this place was, you know, it was 110 years old. So the Mike couldn't stand up straight in the basement. So one of the big deals about making this decision is both of us are standing in the basement and I'm like, you realize that if we do this project, we're going to have to dig this basement out because we need the space. We need the space in the basement for our business. Okay. So that was like another unexpected challenge that you had to deal with. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, I'm like, you realize that, right? And he looked at me, he's like, fuck, <laughs> you know, like, cause it's 4,000 square feet. I mean, it's a big, yeah. it's a big building. Um, so we kind of went into the, the decision to do this project with eyes wide open in terms of understanding what the project needed to make it successful. And, you know, the basement was one of it. And then the basement was the precursor to then being able to put the farm on the roof because we expanded the footers of the building and we made, you know, the bearing wall systems stronger. And then we also uh, made the parapets uh, where in order to have this rooftop farm, we put steel beams in that are stretched across the building and they're held by the bearing walls and, you know, and the parapets. And then there's a deck that's built on top of that. So it's not, the farm isn't actually sitting on the roof of the building. We've created a... Yeah. Uh, a deck. So this was obviously no small task. This, no, this is this it's a was a big project. This was a big, big project. One hundred and ten year old building. Um, the prior owners left it in very bad disrepair. I think they thought the building was going to be purchased by a developer that was going to tear it down. Oh, okay. So when they shut their business down, they just shut the lights off and locked it up and walked out the door and all the food and all the, everything was left there. And they did that in November. We saw the building in February. So there was just decaying. It was, you know, it was in fe- it was just a nasty space to clean up. Okay. Um, but, you know, of course had great bones. It had a lot of the things that we wanted for restaurant number two and things that we didn't even put on our wish list because who would think to put that on a list yeah. for a, a restaurant in Chicago we wanted to have we wanted to own the building that was our number one prerequisite we wanted to have a a, a stage a bigger venue type space bigger kitchen um, fireplace outdoor dining you know it's the the basic things that really make a restaurant shine but yep. we we didn't ask for in our wish list we didn't ask for a parking lot and we didn't ask for a rooftop that was capable of being used, you know? Well, it sounds like the universe provided it. it well, it just had you. so much going for it. Yeah. We we went, we decided, you know what? We're up for the challenge. We can do this. You know, you just have to hire the right people to help you make these things happen and, you know, play by the rules of the TIFF situation. And, um, you know, it. We, we closed on June 21st on the building and we opened the restaurant in early December for business. So. Okay. It didn't take us long. We we got a lot of work done in did a you short the, period of time did, to get it up and out. Did you have the um the farm when you opened? No. So what? No, uh, but the deck, because it, by the time we opened, it was winter time. So we had the deck built and we had the solar panels up there. And so that gave us the time to then find people to work with to figure out, okay, now how do we design this farm? Nope. <laughs> you know, no one has done this before. How do we make it so that 
we have a super productive, tiny space, you know, that, that really can produce a lot of food, but can be used as an educational space. And, you know, when Mike was like, yeah, people could eat up here. And I'm like, no, I, I don't want this to be a dining space. I want it to be a working farm where people can come and visit and learn and, you know, we can have maybe like cocktails and appetizers or something like that, but like not a seated formal right, dining right. space. It's, so, it's really meant to be, um, you know, a, a growing space, yeah, I mean, a growing, I, growing whatever it is we need to grow space. Yep. And I got the tour. And yeah. It was amazing. And yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier about the fact that you've been developing and evolving this business in line with these values that you have. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what those are? <laughs> Well, our vision overall is to nourish community and nurture nature. I think those four words really encompass the whole, the whole idealism. Okay. And, um, and then uncommon ground. If you think about our evolution, I mean, we started out as a coffee cart, uncommon ground. Then we became a, a, a cafe, um, a venue, you know, uh, an art space and, uh, you know, a, sort of a different uncommon ground, you know, and then as it grew and we got really, we really, you know, became involved in sustainability and really thinking about what's happening with our climate, you know, what can we as a restaurant do? Um, what can, what can we do to improve our local economy? We've always really been big on, you know, supporting local businesses that are like-minded or mm -hmm. supporting, um, you know, the local farmers trying to relocalize our food systems, which would make our economy stronger and probably keep us healthier because we're eating, you know, fresher food that hopefully doesn't have as much chemical content on it, you know. So it, um, and the first time I found out about like RBGH and milk, I completely freaked out when I understood what that was about. And is then I'm thinking, is that a hormone? It's a, hor it's a growth hormone, bovine growth hormone. And, um, is that given to the cows by it's, humans? Yes, it's given to the cows by humans, and it makes the the females, you know, who are producing the milk, produce way more milk, but at a cost to the animal because, um, you know, I mean, in in my mind, what happens is it it makes the you know their udders really swell. I mean, it's more milk, and it's it's painful for them. I but mean, what, but what does that do to us if we're drinking? Well, it? the hormones pass through to the, the dairy products that we consume that have that in there. And now, you know, girls are having their periods before they're 10 and, and boys are developing breasts. So, you know, so to me, and, but just the cruelty to the animal is, freaks me out, yeah. you know, first okay. and foremost, because it's like, I, that's something that I've really rail against now is, is misery meat and poisonous produce. Because okay. if an animal is miserable, then what kind of energy are you getting from it when you're consuming it? Yeah. Um, and then whatever chemicals they're feeding this creature, you know, GMOs, Roundup, you know, whatever it is they're consuming, you know, well, first of all, corn isn't, isn't a food that's meant for cows. Cows are meant to eat grass. Right. That's what they were designed to do. Yeah. Um, and so by feeding them corn, it makes them sick. So now they have to give them antibiotics and all this stuff. So it's creating just this really bad situation for, for the animals. But, you know, the end result is we're dealing with it when we consume that. Yeah. And it's starting to become a really major, major issue. 
So we have to get the antibiotics out of our, our food stream. Yeah, I feel like this could be another whole podcast. Yes, I, I, I want to have, a, um, a, I'm part of a running group. And mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the women that I run with is a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. she's, she's studying for her doctorate in nutrition. And I want to have her come in. Um, but, but that is, uh, I have a yeah, lot of that's questions. That's a big conversation. So maybe I'll, I'll pull you, you can come back. Yeah. be part of that conversation. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just concerned about making sure that the types of things that I buy, uh, f you know, to use within my restaurant are the the best ingredients I can find where in, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I, my conscience is good. Like I'm not, I'm not feeding people all the stuff that I think is really bad for you and, and bad for animal. I love animals, yeah. but I'm also an, uh, an omnivore. Yeah. So I only, if I'm going to eat them, I want to eat an animal that had a natural life that, you know, that was cared for, that was in the sunshine. If it's a cow, I want, I only eat grass fed beef. Um, so, you know, and because I think that in the end, maybe I don't need to eat so much of that, but when I do, it's something that's actually really going to nourish me and the animal, you know, this is the cycle of life and the, the animals are part of that. But, you know, they shouldn't be miserable their whole life on our behalf. I mean, that's that's not right. You yeah. know, to me, that's just completely unethical. So I, I just, you know, I want to feel good about what I'm doing. I want to feel good about what we put on the plate. And are we perfect? We're always trying, you know. But in this world right now, it's really hard because you there's not a whole lot of information. You just don't always know what's in your food. Yeah. Now, is that something that a lot of restaurants do? or Because I, I assume that purchasing food that falls within that criteria that mm -hmm. you just um, mentioned, that that's a lot of extra work and I assume extra expense. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is a lot of work or is it, are, yeah. are there natural? It requires effort. Oh. It requires, okay. uh, you got to, you know, you have to have your head in the space of trying to understand what's happening in your, in the world that you are presiding over, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, read a lot of newsletters and I'm, you know, connected with a lot of different organizations that are like-minded and, you know, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to learn about what's going on in the world and uh, especially in regards to food and sustainability and food safety and, and those types of things. And, um, but, you know, as a chef, you want things to taste good and you want them yeah. to be beautiful and so how does that happen? Well, when you grow your own, you pretty much, there it is. You know everything that's gone into that creature. You're picking at the peak of ripeness and you're preparing it in such a way that your guests can enjoy. And there's nothing better than that, you know, yep. and it's, it, it doesn't need to be a big complicated thing, you and know. Plus you can put fresh nasturtiums on everything because exactly. you had a lot of nasturtiums. We, we have a lot garden. of nasturtiums right and now. And pansies. Yes. Ed yeah. Edible pansies, which yeah. I didn't know that pansies yeah. were edible. So they're called Johnny Jump Ups. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was that was one of the many lessons I got when I went and saw mm -hmm. your um, your location. You mentioned community, so tell me about that. I know that you do events. Tell me other ways that you embrace the community. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, there's our immediate community, Lakeview or Edgewater. You know, we're we're really involved in a lot of happenings in in both areas. Um, but to me, it's really about sort of building a community within, uh, building uh, a connection to the people around us and providing them a place of comfort, a place where they feel like they're going to get a good meal, um, a place where they can enjoy music and art 
and hanging out with friends, maybe not spending so much time on the phone and having conversation. Um, and, and then if there's any way that I can use my, you know, my space to help educate people a little bit about sustainability or, you know, better food or better beer. Um, I try to do that in, in subtle ways. You know, at our Clark Street location, we've got an outdoor cafe area that's fenced in by food growing, you know, and now suddenly people are like, oh, wow, look at how beautiful that, oh, that's tomato. Oh, I didn't know you could, oh, oh. And then the next thing you know, people are like, what are, what are those things that you're growing those in? I, where can you get those? You know, I would like, you know, and so it's like one of those things where it's like you try to form connections because we're like-minded. Yep. Um, you know, we we serve, we try to make sure the menu is balanced so that there's something for everyone. And right now with so many people having so many dietary issues, mm. uh, you know, predominantly it's vegetarian and vegan, mm -hmm. which we, half of our menu is easily that. Um, or could or could be modified from vegetarian to vegan, but also there's people who don't do gluten, and then there's other allergy type things that are going on. So we really try to make sure that when you come to dine with us, you're going to have a nice meal, and you're going to have something that you can eat if you have a situation like that going on. And I think that's really important too. You know, it's like you want to you want to nourish people when they come to your restaurant. It's it's not about making a buck. It's about um, you know, I mean, I have 120 employees, so that's a community in itself. Mm. So, you know, to keep a, a small economy going like that. So it's, it's community, but it's across so many different, you know, aspects of, you know, your daily universe. So can you tell me about the harvest dinner that's coming up? Yeah. So this harvest dinner is something we started, uh, soon after we got, you know, the farm, reliably up and running after the first few years and uh when we when we're now able to harvest about a thousand pounds plus of food um you know from our system and what we do is we choose a date in august and this year it's going to be august 28th which is a wednesday night and we're going to have a farm dinner and the dinner is basically starts out with a cocktail. Usually we'll work together with a local distiller and create some delicious cocktail with some ingredients from the farm. And um, then there will be a trio of appetizers. And then we'll go and sit down at a table with a family-style meal. And that meal will also include our fresh-brewed organic beer from Green Star Brewing. So it's kind of like the ultimate slow dinner because we, you know, we start planning for this basically in February when we decide what our farm plan is going to wow. be. And, you know, then we'll, the majority of the food that will be on the plate or that you are drinking um, is going to be something that we produced in one way or another. In what location is this? And this is at our Devon location. So, oh, okay. Yeah. In Edgewater. In and Edgewater. And what's the date for this? It's going to be on Wednesday, August 28th. At 6 p.m. Okay. And now, is this something you buy tickets for? Yes. I'm actually uh, actively working on the menu for this right now. We're really looking at what's what's going to be coming up from the farm that we're harvesting so that we can really, you know, get our peak ingredients and as much, you know, we're going to have to hoard some of our ingredients and wait for that night. Um, so it takes me a little while, but I'm working on the menu now and... Um, once we've kind of got that organized, we will set up a sales of brown pick, brown paper tickets. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I will definitely be attending. Oh, I would love to have Yay. you. Yay. <laughs>
A quote that I read from you that made me really happy mm-hmm. was you said something to the effect of that we have the power to solve problems. And that sounded like something that would be very important for your journey. Oh, absolutely. Because I feel like reminding yourself that mm-hmm. is really important when we're faced with problems, when we're, fe- when we're feeling overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and reminding ourselves that we actually do have the power to solve the problems that are presented to us. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, in, in our early years, we, weren't, we didn't sort of have a plan laid out. We were sort of playing things by ear and growing and then reacting to that. You know, it was more reactionary to where we were at any given point in time. And then it came to a space where we decided to expand for the first time. And that was awesome. We needed to do it, but it, I threw my entire body and soul into that process. And there was probably a period of six months where I worked every day, at least 12 hours a day, yeah. like no, no down, downtime, no vacations, no days off, you know, just barely kind of, you know, between Mike and I, uh, and, and we did a lot of the build out ourselves because we couldn't really afford to, you know, pay somebody to do a lot of things that we might have been able to do. You know, for instance, I sanded the floors, you know, kind of thing with that machine. You know? So, um, you know, we did a lot of crazy stuff and I just about killed myself. I mean, I really was on the brink of complete exhaustion. And and I, at a certain point, uh, I realized that I needed a timeout, which I, I did take. But I also realized that, it, you know, if I'm, if this is my company and I'm the entrepreneur, then if I don't like the way something is going, if I don't like the direction we're taking, or if I don't like the way my life is at the moment because I'm just overworked, yep. the only person that's going to fix that is me. Yeah. You know, it's like if I have to realize that and then I have to say to myself, well, I have the power to change so that I make it better, whatever the case may be. Being an entrepreneur yeah. is a... a way that it sounds like you probably will really learn that. Yes. But ultimately, it's applicable to anybody, no to matter anything. what you're doing. We all have that. But we also need to be mindful to really understand if there's something that needs to be changed. Or, you know, sometimes you're unhappy, but you don't really know what it is that's bugging you sometimes, you yeah. know, or like, oh, if I change this, then this would make it all much better. You know, sometimes you don't go to that place right away because it's not something you realize. But once you figure it out, then you can say to yourself, well, I've identified the situation and now I have the power to fix it. Yeah. You know, so you really kind of have to identify what it is that needs your problem solving skills. And, you know, um, and so much of what, you know, how Mike and I go about things is we really, we picture things. I mean, I see things in my head. I see what's going to happen in my head. You see that tomato. I do. I see it, you know, and then and then that's where I'm going. You know, it's it's just it's as simple as that for us. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I I still think, you know what? If it had been any other man and I'm up go, up there going, "Holy shit, I could grow food up here." You know, you know, how many people are going to be like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead. Follow that dream, hun. Go." That's kind of a crazy idea, but go. <laughs> You know, and he was just like in it with me the second, nice. the second that it came out of my mouth. So, um, and, and we, we do that for each other. And what's really cool about how we have things kind of set up is our, te- our skill sets are very different. Okay. Um, 
we have sort of the same mindset, but our skill sets are different. So we've, we've always just kind of operated on this divide and conquer thing where it's like, okay, well, you do what you do and I'll do what I do. And we'll kind of make sure we're connected in the middle so that we're directing the thing together. But that's kind of really what our process has been. That sounds I mean, like a good match. It's teamwork. Yeah, all the way. So do you have a couple suggestions or tips or uh, guidelines that you can give people that are listening to this mm -hmm. um, to help them move things forward in their business and their lives in a more creative manner? Mm. Well, something that has served me well is sort of connecting to my intuition. And I think that when you have time to think, I'm a, I, I need to process. Uh, and, and I like systems. So to me, it's like, first I have to sort of process an idea and then my, my mind will create the system of how to, how to actually make it happen. So it, it kind of starts with the imagination, but mm -hmm. then it goes through this metamorphosis of like, okay, well, how do I realize this? And then I let it, I let things flow from there. And then sometimes, you know, you might go in a certain direction and then realize, well, uh, uh, nope, that's not going to be quite where I want it, but, you know, let's move it over this way, or this isn't quite working, what if we do this kind of thing. But, and I'm also a risk taker, but I'm a calculated risk taker. Okay. I think it's really great to take risks because, you know, nothing ventured, no, nothing gained. But, you know, there is that time span, like we only have two restaurants and that's all the restaurants I'm going to have in my lifetime. But there is that time span where so many people would open a concept and then, you know, want to become the next McDonald's and then start opening many more, you know, all really quickly. And I think, and then 2008 happened and a lot of places, you know, they didn't make it because they yeah. just overexpanded very quickly. But so I'm, I'm the type of person where it's like, you know, I kind of go at a pace that it, that I want to be stable. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be around. Um, a lot of restaurants don't really last very long. Some of them don't even make it to a year these days. You know, they come and go so quickly. So to me, it was, you know, it's, it's, it was, it's important to kind of consider, okay, what's the long game? You know, what do I, what do I want and how do I kind of, you know, float the boat in that direction? Yeah, no, I mean, the fact that you take calculated risks that, that aligns with what I'm seeing in that you've done all of these things that are outside of the norm mm -hmm. for a restaurant, mm -hmm. um, but they are successful. And it sounds like you've slowly built them and done them over the years. Mm -hmm. Slowly. And then, um, you know, to, to really make sure that we are connected with our community. That's, I mean, that's the only way you stay in business is if you really have those connections, good connections, you know, not just the, oh, this is the new thing, I'm checking it out, and then, you know, people don't come back. It's like you want, you want to provide a space that, that people enjoy enough to come back to. And I think you have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome. So where can people go to learn more about your restaurants? Well, you can check our website out, www.uncommonground.com. And uh, if you're really interested in finding out like music and art and happenings and so on, please register your email with us so that you can find out about all the stuff coming up, uh, including the farm dinner that will be happening on August 28th. 
Oh, and including my artwork, which is going which is going to be January twenty twenty one. Yes. So, so you're. Can plan- you believe I'm already planning into twenty twenty one? I know. Well, I got to get going. I got to get. That's a system. Uh, I developed a system for art booking, and it's efficient. And uh, now I won't have to worry about it until mid twenty twenty again. Well, this means that there, my work better be really, really good. If that's I, right. If I've I given have, you lots of time if, to plan. If I have over a year to 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 <laughs> prepare these paintings. They are going to be amazing. Well, it's going to be like your gallery. It's just <laughs> going to be a big space with just your art. So, I'm, yeah, I'm really, take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. This was this was amazing. <laughs> thank you. You're very welcome. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.